welcome to Noisy Fulfillment, a Desperate Housewives rewatch podcast where we take you back in time episode by episode of ABC's Desperate Housewives. If you love what we're doing and would like to support us further than just as a listener, which we absolutely thank you for, you can really help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review and subscribing to this podcast. That really helps people to find us because analytics equals search results. We'll also read it on the air, so if you love to hear stuff you've written on the air, here's your chance. Also, you can become a patron by contributing at any monetary level by going to anchor.fm slash noisyfulfillment. You can also buy us a virtual coffee by tipping us in our virtual tip jar at ko-fi.com slash noisyfulfillment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash noisyfulfillment where you can comment on stuff, react to stuff, and also message us. You can also email us at noisyfulfillment at gmail.com. Oh, good morning, Amanda. Good morning, Rachel. Happy, happy morning. Happy Sunday. Right. Except that it's probably not Sunday or morning for most people that listen to this, but that's what it is for us. And that's where I'm going with this. Happy whatever time of the day it is to you, listener. And thank you for joining us. Uh, For episode 17, There Won't Be Trumpets, written by John Pardee and Joey Murphy. We've seen that team, that writing team work together and directed by Jeff Melman. Notice anything here? No women in the writing room. First aired April 3rd, 2005. And the title, There Won't Be Trumpets, borrowed from another Sondheim song uh, from the play Marry Me a Little. I don't know that one. So if you read the lyrics, I don't know the play either, but if you read the lyrics, it talks about um, being saved. And there's a lot of mm. a lot of emphasis here into um, having someone come save you and heroes come and save you. But when it says there won't be trumpets, it's like you're expecting there to be banners and trumpets. And if you're a Game of Thrones person, you're waiting for all of them to be like their advanced team to come first and announce their arrival. But it might not be that way. It might be that there is a rescue and it's unexpected. And you didn't even realize it happened until it was over. And you don't know that you're the hero until you're the hero. Right. Right. Interesting. You want to take us to a summary? So um, this episode, we right off the bat, um, welcome Mama Celise back to the land of the living for a hot second. So we are grappling with the aftermath of Mama Celise's untimely death, which we'll get to right away. Um, Also dealing with the arrangements of laying a family member to rest. Mm -hmm. Um, We deal then with Gabby and Carlos's financial issues as related to giving somebody a proper send off. Mm -hmm. Lynette makes a new friend that is a mom of one of the boys friends at school. So that, that has, it takes an interesting twist and, um, Bree and Andrew continue to go through their struggles, but we get a little bit of a resolution. And Susan kind of gets the hots for somebody new who happens to work for Edie and be on the do not call list. So that has that has its own little um, beginning, middle, and end in this episode. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. So in the cold open, we see... In the coma wing of Sacred Heart Hospital, the dreams begin just after midnight. The pitch black of night gives way to vivid images that comfort the dreamer until morning. Gus, the custodian, dreams of someday winning the lottery and quitting his thankless job. 
Howard, the security guard, envisions a luxurious retirement in the traffics. Ruth Ann, the night nurse, fantasizes about leaving her husband. But the most vivid dreams of all belong to the patient in room 312. Yes, Juanita Solis had been dreaming steadily for five months, sometimes of the shocking secret she had discovered. Other times she dreamt of the accident that put her in the hospital, but her most common dream was the one in which she finally told her son the truth. And then one night, Juanita Solis decided it was time to wake up. Woo! I thought that the way that they showed the little spinny spinny flashback mm-hmm. of each of those people that work in the hospital, I was like, oh, the way that they're setting this up, this is not going to be good because we've got the custodian who's cleaning the floor and leaves the, the whatever that thing is. I can't, I don't even know what it's called. We know the floor is wet. Then we floor have, shiner? what's that? The floor shiner? I have no idea. Okay. I have no idea. And then the security guard is kind of like taking a beat. Um, I, it just, to me, like the way that they portrayed those, those three having their daydream was setting up for a little bit of a lapse in supervision. And I, even without remembering what happened, I was like, oh, this isn't going to be good for somebody. This is dangerous. With that being said, having been in the hospital overnight, both with my child and for myself, I appreciated when there wasn't a lot going on at night. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's a lot going on behind the scenes to make sure the patient care is taken care of, but I get it. You're right. I I was set up for that too. I agree. I will say Mama Solis is awfully spry. They show her voice being a little bit hoarse, but man, she like her muscles haven't atrophied. I good for her. That's, I literally, my notes are like, okay, are we really this alert and ready to run around a hospital when we're waking up from having been in a coma for five months? She has been waiting to tell Carlos about this affair for five months and she would like to get her, her digs in as quickly as possible. She, that was her fuel. That was her Gatorade. Her, she was fueled by hate and spite and the desire to set things straight for her baby boy. That was so well articulated, Amanda. I appreciate that. Thank you. So as she's running to fall, sorry, as she's running to get to Carlos, she slips on freshly washed hospital floors. Fair enough. Those there floors are clean enough to eat off of. But then when um, the hell are they supposed to clean? If they're not supposed to clean in the middle of the night, when are they supposed to do it? Exactly. And this was pre-COVID, man. Pre-hygiene yeah. cure. Yeah. So she falls down the stairs and a nurse finds her as she's having a cigarette but she cannot hear what she's saying because her earphones are in. Oh, when, when Mama Solis is saying this, I was like, oh, Gabby's done. And then we hear the music and I'm like, oh, nope. <laughs> and it's that anti-hero kind of thing mm-hmm. is that Gabby should get her comeuppance. It's true. Yeah. But as a you know staunch Gabby enabler, I suppose, over here, it's... It's when you root for the person you probably should have problematic feelings for. And I do have problematic feelings for Gabby, but I don't love Mama Solis. So Mm-mm. this is not a hard, this is not a, a contentious battle for me in my soul of which one I'm rooting for, right? True. True, and true. Mama, and Mama Solis shortly dies after. She will never get the opportunity to give this this information to Carlos. She will not. She will not. And then we get the frame story. Mariella says um, in her first words, we all honor heroes for different reasons, sometimes for their bravery, sometimes for their daring, 
sometimes for their goodness, but mostly we honor heroes because at one point or another, we all dream of being rescued and it's juxtaposed with Susan illustrating a children's book that includes all of these fairy tale characters, a knight it looks like, and a daring expedition, and we open in Susan's house. Susan is pouring herself a cup of coffee, and Mike walks down the path, and Susan's got like three separate little daydreams. Um, First one, she... Well, actually, in all three of them, she opens the door and finds a reason to kiss him. The first one, he's like, this is crazy. And she's like, you're right. And then I can't remember what the other two were, but they all ended up with her holding her coffee cup and passionately kissing Mike. I agree. They all result in the same. Uh, One of them is, what the cops didn't tell you is that I killed for you, Susan. For you, yes. Yes. And then, and then the gun. If I can't have you, nobody can. Yeah, because that's not oh, toxic. Susan. It's not toxic at all. But God, Susan, we we know where your heart is, Susan. We know. For sure. Know. And in reality, yeah. she, she can't bring herself to open that door. Nope. So. But good for her. Good yeah. for her. Although when he slides the letter under the door and she snatches it and he's like, oh, you should have waited until I left to do that. There's our girl. He saw her from the window anyway. He knew she was right there. I think you're probably right. So meanwhile, over at Brian Rex's, Brian Rex find out that Andrew was caught doing drugs again. And therefore, um, when he was confronted by the school security or parking attendant, he refuses to cooperate. The, the, the guy is totally right. If you were going to go smoke weed, why did you have to do it? In a parking lot. You're asking for it. Yes. There's nothing going on there except that you want to get caught. You and your friends want to smoke weed. There were a thousand other places to do it. Mm-hmm. Did you really have to do it before breakfast? I mean, I guess I say that as I'm drinking a mimosa, but. Cheers to that. Good for you. Mine's, <laughs> my mimosa's later today. I'm rushed, but. Um, um, yeah. You can cooperate and ran the guy down. Man, this kid should not be allowed within 100 feet of a motor vehicle. No. How many more episodes of vehicular manslaughter do we need here with this child? Child, remember, because he's 16, we learned in the last, our last, one of our last conversations. He's 16. He's lived a full, full, terrible life. So, um. He's expelled. Do what? He's expelled. Well, right. And that, and I was wondering about, is that, is that the typical course of action? Because I feel like it's usually probation of some sort, but he already got caught with pot in his locker. Remember when Bree, right. when Bree left the pot in his locker and left and narked him out. Yep. So Bree decides punishment is in order and wants to send him away to camp in quotes. And I'm wondering, is this still a thing? And then I'm also wondering, wouldn't Andrew be arrested for, having pot on, like literally having pot on school grounds and then um, squealing out of the parking. Like, would there be some sort of police action here? So they say that the parking attendant is not pressing charges. However, yeah, I guess that's a great question in terms of you're doing something that but can- the school, has to, the school has to though. Like they can't not. Isn't that negligence if they don't? 
feels like we need a lawyer on our podcast as a technical advisor. So yeah. if that is you, listener, you just you hit us mm-hmm. up. You know how to find us. You, you know all the things. I do it in the preamble before we get started on this. But nonetheless, back to your question about deprogramming camp, and I think they call this the troubled teen industry. I am really grossed out that there is an industry that is as problematic as this. And for whatever good intentions it may have had in the last few years, we've really heard people who have in the in the public eye, like Paris Hilton, for instance, coming out about being a participant in some of these programs and how abusive they were. Um, Mike Rinder and Leah Remini did a spot on their podcast about the troubled teen industry. I believe a little bit culty is going to cover it uh, soon. Yeah. So there's a lot coming out in the last couple of years about the troubled teen industry and problematic things that these, um, I don't know, in an industrial complex has done in their fervor to rehabilitate teens. So I don't, I haven't looked into it in terms Mm -hmm. of still a thing, but it certainly was of the time, 2004, Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan, you know, and, and the ways in which their Miley Cyrus not too long after um the ways in which parents affluent affluent white kids yeah right no kidding not going to jail they're going to deprogramming camp and obviously nuanced situations there Mm -hmm. but yeah troubling to see this now when I'm putting it in a conversation with those in the public eye who have come out and said yeah my parents sent me to these and they were abusive and yeah Mm -hmm. Really troubling. So Rex and Bree have a little bit of a conversation about this, about whether or not this should happen. And of course, Rex is like, I'll talk to him man to man, thinking that's going to change him. Um, as they're going through the brochures, one of them has an electrified fence and Bree's like, well, that's, have to admit it is an efficient way to teach boundaries, which clearly Andrew's struggling with. But I just, I feel for Bree because her kid is just being not only horrendously disrespectful, but so unsafe, like yes. so unsafe. Yes. And I used to talk about this with my students when we talked about Romeo and Juliet is that it is such an investment to have a child and it sounds a little bit like removed or you know cold, but it really is. It's an investment of your time. It's an investment of your energy, of your money, and it is so ripe with things that can go wrong. It takes so long to get you into this world. It takes so long to help you do the things that you have to do to just survive. And then for there to be risky behavior, how hard that is on a parent when it's like, I think they said this in Grey's Anatomy too. I built that body from scratch when my daughter broke her arm. I'm like, girl, I built that arm from scratch. You really do feel like it's something that you created. and there's not so much you can do with it anymore as opposed to other investments that you have a little bit more control over. This investment has all the autonomy in the world and just enough to break your heart. Mm. I feel that from a teacher's perspective where it's like, you just feel like you can't not take it personally, but it's, you're sitting back and just watching a car crash like every day. Yeah. And as a teacher, you did it multiple times because you had the same, sometimes you had the same age group every year and you're like, oh, I've read this story already. Oh, I've seen seen this trouble coming. Let me help you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, speaking of schools, let's head over to Barcliffe Academy. Lynette's boys are doing a bang-up job in the play. What the um, heck, Did they go to deprogramming camp and it was successful? Because they're, they are here. They are. And I will tell you, they. I was, I was so excited to hear them with their Henry Wadsworth Longfellow Midnight Ride of Paul Revere because I still remember the first two stanzas of that. And that is a magic trick that I liked to pull out Whenever my seventh graders were learning about um, that portion of U.S. history, because they had to like, they like watched a video or whatever. They never, they never had to memorize it and recite it in front of people the way that I had to in whatever grade. And I still, it's still burned into my brain. I can't remember a damn grocery list of five items when I'm in Trader Joe's. Like I have to have my phone out to remember it, but I can recite the midnight ride of Paul Revere first two stanzas. And so when those boys were doing it, I was like, yes, that is correct. Yes. Correct line. Yes. Good job, boys. So very exciting about that. Um, so they're doing this play and it looks like it's in the classroom, which that was a small class to be able to have those kids up front and then still have parents come to watch it. And that's something only a teacher would notice. Yes. <laughs> um, but so Lynette and um, Lynette sees a mother and daughter signing and she decides she wants to come over and meet the mother, Alyssa, and her daughter, Lily. And she learns that Alyssa's son, Matt, is a good friend of her boys. So they decide they're going to get together and have a little, you know, play date. And then as the boys are being there, going back to their unprogrammed, rambunctious selves, she kind of says, oh, maybe we should just do adult. Because you, you can imagine how loud it is with Scavo boys and then add another loud boy in there. And maybe that's the tipping point. Absolutely. And when we get to that scene, I will say the same thing that you probably said, which is, yeah, they're all upstairs and everything is fine. Or everybody has a babysitter. Who do Tom and Lynette drop their children off to where they're not in this home? I don't know. Their that. kids are upstairs putting gum in each other's hair again. I that's what, that. when it's quiet, they're, they're either out stealing or gumming up each other's hair. Um, is Penny still so young that she's going to be like an infant in a stroller with the blanket covering her up? Yeah. I, I mean, she will be in the next season. I'm just thinking forward to the next season. She's still not really verbal. She's, she's not toddling. Okay. So okay. she's still very little. So blanket okay. covering her up. My kid never went for that. So. Yeah. I just was like, I feel, I thought she was an older baby, but. I, don't know. I I would say six to nine months right now because in the next in the next season she's still not toddling so like not don't, I don't feel like we see her enough for me to really track how old she is that's know? fair because I've been told working with babies animals or elevators on a on a scene will drive you to drink yes yes hmm. um over uh, over at Gabby and Carlos's, Carlos says that the prosecution has made an offer for him to go away for eight months, and that would mean that they could keep the house, but that also means that they must not have a very strong case, so, you know, who cares? I'm not going to jail. Yes, and Gabby gives him a full koala-style hug until she realizes that this that he's not taking the deal, and then she's like, put me down. And she says... You're guilty as sin. You yeah. should get eight, you should get eight months. You should get a lot more. That's a really good deal. I think that's super interesting that Gabby is so about justice as far as Carlos is concerned. But then when it comes to her, I mean, I know this this is a very standard, this is a very standard way that somebody would would be in this situation, but she is like, 
take your, take your, in the words of Mike Delfino, take your lumps and then you can still, you know, play in the afternoon. Like maybe you can come home and we still have a house. But as far as she's concerned, like she's, you know, she deserves to be out and about and doing whatever she wants. And I guess I don't know exactly how much Carlos made in the time that other people were basically doing slave labor. Basically he's been, he's been charged with slave labor. Um, But I thought about it as maybe he made 2 million that year. Maybe that's all, maybe that's more or whatever. And how many years has he been doing it? But let's just say he made $2 million for eight months work. That's $250,000 a month. That's more than I make in a month, in a year, in a decade. Um, But so, I mean, it's hard to not attach a price or to not be a little bit cynical about that when you see white collar criminals going to jail. Yeah, they're going to jail, but it was almost worth it. Yeah. I mean, I I guess I don't know what you'd have to pay me to be in jail for eight months, but holy cow. Right. And thinking just totally a side note, like a bunny trail here, but um, thinking about how much he might make, because I, I feel like obviously when you look at the bags that Gabby has, mm-hmm. when she's bringing him home shopping um, and the car that he bought her and the fact that they had like a full-time maid, it's a lot of money. A $400,000 year. They, but then they live on the same street as the Scavos who mm. we know don't make that kind of money. Like, it seems to me with as material and like Martha Huber on the same yeah. side, and Susan, who's a book illustrator who doesn't ever really seem to work. So like, it seems to me that it it's, it, I don't know. I know that there are millionaires among us all the time or whatever, but like with how materialistic they are, like I just, that I'd never really thought about that before right now, but that just seems like an odd spot for them to land. and like knowing how much money he probably made. I don't know. I don't know why I went down that trail, but. No, that was totally relevant. And I don't think we talk about it enough that we're having people coming into contact with one another for better, for better really, because we're getting demonstrably different, uh, you know, echelons of pay versus something else. And also did Lynette work when they bought that house? All sorts of things. Maybe Maybe Susan got a better uh, alimony and or child support than I think she did. But Martha Hoover, you're right. uh, With the worthless, worthless pension of her late husband. Yeah. I think those are all relevant questions and um, I'm interested in them. It just doesn't seem like it. It doesn't, it seems like a plot hole to me because in an, I mean, in, in one neighborhood, you could have you could have people who make a lot of money and people who make not as much, but that just seems like a pretty big stretch. It's a, a vast gap. I agree. Yeah. Um, in and that I, same scene, no, yeah, but in that same scene, the hospital calls and Gabby answers it to find that- not In a not very friendly way. She answers it like, what? What? Like, have you ever answered your phone like that? No. <laughs> If I answer if I answer it not in a good tone, it's exasperated, but it's not rude. Right. I've never answered the phone what? Unless I've seen on a caller ID that it's somebody that I'm real pissed at, but this was not a caller ID situation. Oh no, it wasn't. And it was interesting to me that um as she answers the phone, they don't ask to speak to Carlos. No. Hmm. Yeah. And what did they call? What did they call to tell us? What was the news? Mama Solis has died. 
And Carlos knows right away, is it mama? Like he come, he's like, yeah, he knows that. He knows the the ring. She said the hospital or doctor or something that, that tipped him off on that. But yeah, he absolutely did. And I don't know, you know, I've never got, I've been lucky enough in my life to not get that call from a hospital. Um, mm-hmm. But it was, you know, very, it was poignant. And we have Carlos and Gabby embracing. Carlos looks, you know, crestfallen. He's absolutely right. sad. But Gabby. He's kind of smirky. Yeah. 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 And again, is she relieved? I would have been happier to see a look of relief as opposed to satisfaction. Yes. Agree. Agree. I feel like this whole episode is 100% not Gabby's best. Hmm. When we come back from the act break or what we would, not even an act break, it's where the commercial would have gone. Yeah. A commercial would have gone, which is different in in an era of streaming where we just watch the whole thing. Um, We come back and Carlos is shopping for an expensive casket and Gabby doesn't want him to spend so much. And I, Carlos is like, my mother was a queen and Gabby's like, she came from humble beginnings, barefoot. That was like, she, Gabby wants to put her in basically like a cardboard casket. Now, Carlos really wants her in the deluxe accommodations with the curtains. And why do you need curtains in a casket? So... I want to hold space for the fact that I do think that some places are terribly disreputable and guilt you and shame you into services and things that you either cannot afford or do not need. Um, but people should honor their their lost yes. loved ones the way they the way they see fit. But I will say that it grosses me out that there are people that really do prey on people in grief-stricken situations, people that don't have the money. Obviously, they can see Gabby and Carlos coming a mile away. I would imagine that some people are preyed upon a great deal. um, And maybe they think, well, if you have that much money, you should be savvy enough to learn how to not lose it. But that industry really when it comes to that it really bothers me I have not had that displeasure however anytime that I've been involved in those conversations I've been very pleased with the the services that we've um, received and the cost of them and I realize that I say that from a place of privilege Um, but nonetheless I'm delighted that I've never been in that situation but I have heard of those situations and super sad but in this moment I think Gabby is juggling two things. Number one, they are not in the same financial situation that they were. So the people who see them coming see where they were. Yeah, yeah, where they were, as opposed to what the reality is right now that we're about to lose this house. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, yeah, there was no love lost between her and Mama Solis, and she is clear about it. And being somebody who has a very strained relationship with my mother-in-law, like I get it. Gabby always felt like she wasn't good enough. Yes. And I I know what that feels like and it sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, in, and I know I'm different than Gabby and we, I think a hundred percent of us are different than Gabby, but I think in that situation, whatever my husband wanted, that's what I would defer to. I wouldn't try to, I wouldn't be like, well, she doesn't deserve that money because she's mean. 
spend less so that I can buy more things. Like that definitely was how Gabby came across. Um, quick logistical question. Were they at the funeral home or at their own house? They were at their own home. Because okay. Because I was like, is Carlos even allowed at the funeral home? I'm guessing he's going to have to ask for a really special permission and probably mm-hmm. some armed guards to attend it. But we right. know he does. Um, right. To attend the funeral. But yes, it sounds like like as he's flipping through pamphlets and stuff like that, he was making the decisions on the calls from home, I feel. Yeah, because nobody was there like talking yeah. them through it or counseling them through it. I just when I was watching, I was like, I can't edit, I can't tell because their their furnishings could very well have been at a funeral home. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's fair enough. You know what I'm saying? Like the really luxurious looking things like yeah. anyway, so. Gabby not showing her best here and um, just Carlos really wanting to honor his mom with curtains and everything that a casket has to offer. Yeah. Sorry. Your question, what, what, you know, is that necessary or why would that be necessary? We've had a lot of those conversations in my family in the last six months about what is necessary and what is not necessary. And nobody ever offered us curtains. I will give you that. They never offered us curtains. And when it comes to uh, Chris and I, man, we are just not sentimental people. He's like, I really don't care what you do with me once I'm gone. He's like, Please don't spend that money. Please know it will bother me if you spend that kind of money. And I think that's what Gabby was trying to pretend to get at. Like she, she's it. a practical woman. She would hate this. She didn't like that we paid $15,000 to the maid. You really want me to spend that much on... Yeah, but I do. I feel that Gabby's wrong. Like I think that when when we saw Mama Solis alive and at her best, I think she does like feeling important and she does like feeling valued. And I think she would appreciate not being put in a cardboard casket. Like I I I think that Gabby was making things up with what she was saying. Yeah, there's a difference between um, you don't you don't do, you don't have a job. So I, I don't think you should have a maid. Right. Um, and like, I should not have a proper burial, whatever proper means in that space. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, in, in other parts on the lane, we have Susan, Edie, Lynette, and Bree talking about whether or not Susan should open the letter. And I don't know. I thought that was kind of an interesting conversation. They 100% knew that Susan was, going to open it at one point Lynette offered to rip it up and Susan was like no 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 but in the same conversation Edie reveals she's kind of dating her new contractor Bill and um what was Edie wearing everything that you don't I was actually gonna ask you about the jogging scene soon to ask if uh she was wearing or runner attire, which I know the answer to already. Yeah, that's I have that in my notes later on. Yes, for sure. Um, but her, like, I would say like sixty percent of her bra was out. <laughs> but was it just a, like was it not meant to be a shirt? Was it? I think like, I think that the champagne colored bustier was intended to be her shirt. Okay. But then she had like the top half of a like to me it seemed like two different garments like it seemed like a bustier over a bra which god that woman has a banging body and so go yeah. on girl but just I'm it it I get so distracted and put off by it because it's 
it, they just always make her look so desperate. Like nobody else shows up wearing that kind of thing. Even Susan's slip dress negligee outfit that she wore that time that she and Mike went to dinner when he was bleeding from a gunshot wound. Like that was even a little bit more modest than the top that Edie had on. And I don't know, like put her in, put her in something to make her look classy just once, please. They, they really need to work into that. What do they call her? The most predatory divorcee in a mile radius. They really need to steer into that trope. Okay. Okay. Um, Gabby goes to the hospital to make sure basically that there's no evidence, like maybe the camera she used to take a picture of her and John in bed. Um, and Gabby's asking questions about how Juanita died to Ruthann, the nurse, but the nurse is pretty vague and we can see Gabby can't, but we can, that there's a hospital administrator waiting in the wings. Yeah. Giving, feeding her the answers. Yes. No. Shaking mm-hmm. head to, to, to prompt her move, moving forward. Um, but the answers are vague that she's getting from Ruthann. Um, but at the end, Gabby does tell them to simply toss the box with all Juanita stuff in it. So I feel like while they might've felt like she was asking questions and maybe she could be somewhat litigious at the end, she tells you to just throw the box of stuff away. So is she, or is that, would they interpret that as, oh, I'm going to sue you for so much. I don't need whatever's in that box. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, again, was super distracted by what she was wearing. Like that (laughs) pink and orange suit that needed, it needed a cami or something in between her plush and the, and the jacket and the fresh air. Um, But yeah, I think when we see the hospital administrator, we know that there's going to be some sort of legal action going on. And I don't know, like, I don't know why, if your loved one has been in a coma for five months and you get this call that they die, I the hospital is not giving you that many details. So you wouldn't assume that it was some sort of malpractice or whatever. Um, but then again, with the question she was asking, it did make it look like that. Right. And they're going to have to answer those questions if you ask them. If you don't ask them, not ask, not answered. Right. right. So. I don't, uh, I, I don't think we've seen the last of that, which we haven't. We'll get to that later on in the episode. Yeah. Let's go over to, let's go over to Susan and the flat tire. Yeah. She, she comes outside to go somewhere and she finds a flat tire on her little Volvo station wagon, pulls out an, a screw, which I don't know. A bird just flew out my window. No. I don't know how easy that is to do by hand, but she does it. And then heads over to the construction site, says, is, is this yours? <laughs> Want to guess where I found it? And he makes like a bill, makes a comment about it. They either end up in tires or bare feet. And since you're walking fine, I'll guess the tire. So then he goes over and fixes her tire um, and invites her to lunch. And Susan kind of says, well, I thought you were dating Edie. And he's like, well, it was only one date. And she also kind of goes into that. She's just getting out of a relationship. And he's like, it's just a burrito. Like and a can of soda. Oh, sorry. Sorry. It's a burrito and a can of soda. 
and which is a very West Coast way, by the way, still debating where they live. It's soda is a very West Coast um, way to describe it because you don't hear people where we live calling it a can of soda very often. Um, but is this is this the the Wisteria Lane version of a meat cute? It is a meat cute. I feel okay. I, this is meat cute vibes. High meat cute energy. Yeah, for sure. Also, can you fix the tire? No, I cannot. Same. Same. I've gotten into trouble with that before too. Like out picking up my dog one time from a boarding kennel that's like out in the middle of nowhere. I had a flat tire and had to call for help. Thank God it was the era of cell phones because I don't know what I would have done if it wasn't. And you know what? Um, I don't believe either of my sisters can change a tire either. I know my brother can, uh, but who could do it fastest was my mother with absolute certainty. It was crazy. I I think I was 17 and my car was flat at our house, luckily. And I called AAA or whatever. And they were like, yeah, it'll be about three hours. I'm like, well, yes, I'm not going to school today. My mom went out there and did it in like 20 minutes. And she she could not wait. She does not have, she did not have time for, with all due respect, gentlemen, she did not have time for anybody's bullshit. And particularly if she thought she could do a job faster or better than a man could, um, she was she was worth, she was uh, willing to bet that she could and do so just to get somebody's goat. So I love that. I love that energy. I, I do. That. And I wish I, I wish I shared it, but no, can't do a tire. That's not my thing. Hmm. Well, over at Casa de Scavo, we um, have a lovely dinner party with no kids, awfully quiet. Where are the children? And Lynette, um, they're all talking all together. And then, and then, Tom and Alyssa discover they both worked at the same advertising agency. And she said, oh, Alyssa says, oh, we need to talk and beckons him over, which well, was a little cringy. Yeah. But while they're talking, Dennis starts making really nasty comments about his wife, like yes. really nasty. And Lynette, God bless her, tries to change the subject, tries to redirect. He's a complete asshole here. Yes. Complete asshole. Um, at one point he makes the comment, well, you and your husband seem pretty solid, which I think is a weird thing to say. Right. Um, and then goes into talking about counseling and Lynette literally says like, I don't think we should talk about this. Um, and you know, the dinner ends, they decide they're going to play some tennis together. And then we've got Tom and Lynette talking about it later and Tom. Tom's like, you know, Lynette, like you need to not meddle. And Lynette's like, you don't think I can be tactful? And um, Tom does his little sign language demonstration that he learned and trying to be cute. And Lynette's like, yeah, that's great. But let's really talk about this problem. Like she shuts him down. And Tom says that when they're playing tennis together, he'll take, he'll take him aside. He'll take Dennis aside and talk to him man to man. Okay, Tom. One, yeah, Tom, you are a real take charge type. Uh, right. I've never, I've never been less convinced of somebody being willing to step forward. So, for whatever Lynette's faults are, maybe she's not very tactful, but she doesn't allow things to stand. No. And I appreciate that. Whereas he is a bit of a shrinking violet, unless it comes to Lynette, who he seems to you know, never misses an opportunity to fight with her. But when other things are up, like a job he wants 
or the situation. Yeah. The situation at tennis, the kids, he's more than willing to just engross himself in a paper and somebody else will take care of it. Yes. Agree. Okay. Um, over at Brie and, uh, Brie and Rex's, um, mm-hmm. Brie is in Andrew's room and asks him to please take out the trash. He says, all right, all right. Doesn't says he's going to do it pretty reluctantly. Uh, but he also says, by the way, I need $40 for them all. And Brie says no. And Brie and Andrew start to, you know, argue and mm-hmm. Andrew kicks her out of the way. And, and the timing was impeccable yes. on this. Great, great scene um, because Rex does see it and is genuinely pissed. He is enraged. Angry. He's enraged. Very upset and throws him up against the wall and tells him never to do it again. And I am there for that scene. Yes. Um, but I'm wondering why this child has a door on his room again. Again, it was not months because Juanita Solis has only been in a coma for five months. Didn't right. she say back in that episode it would be three months? I, I don't even remember. And I that. never saw no door. No, this child does not deserve his door. Um, also, I was here for Rex being that pissed. And Brie was too, you know? Brie was too. So this is like the first time we've ever seen Rex stand up to his kid. And he is, he just is so mad and reactive and that like, that was a little scary to see. But I also think that with how much shit Brie has taken from this kid, she needed somebody to stand up because it wasn't, her take wasn't working. Like her, her efforts weren't working and she had felt unheard for so long. And finally Rex sees it, what she's been saying that he kind of acts like she's, you know, over dramatizing and down the open now so people are being physically injured by andrew and yes and uh juanita solis the parking attendant now brie maybe he does start to feel that this is escalating and it's just a matter of time before something even worse happens right somebody's already died now right exactly um so now we see susan sitting outside drawing and edie is out for a run wearing a halter top Give me your notes. No, it, it's a no. It's a hard no. Like Edie is not a flat chested woman. And mm-hmm. as an also not flat chested woman, if you are legitimately going to a run, going to go out for a run, like you have to be serious about your, your up top gear. I mean, I don't know. There was, when I first started running, I was like two sports bras. That was my, my, my P90X trainer told me that too. He's like, yeah. I gotta tell you, you're gonna need a double bra. He's like, don't feel bad about it. Who did he tell me? Gwen Stefani. And then he mm-hmm. told me Gwen Stefani has the same problem. <laughs> so now so like how I, long ago it was that I did P90X. Right. Oh, that was a torture. That was a torturous, torturous. That, you know, but someone who's not athletic, me, um, that was the most successful I've ever been. So it was very interesting that it went that I went that hardcore and then I went back to soft. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. So I I have I have the struggle of trying to find the right the right bra. Like my favorite one, I went for a run yesterday, and the one I had on was like like it truly cost me like ninety five dollars at Lululemon, yeah. which is yeah. probably there's something less expensive that I could find, but 
if you're being a serious runner, if it's not the right bra, you, it, it hurts and you chafe and it's horrible. And a halter top would be problematic for anyone that is, has any sort of, um, I don't even know what to say. You know what I'm saying? So what? Edie's doing it anyway. She sure is. She sure is. So Susan asks if it would be okay for her to go out on a date with Bill and Edie without hesitating says no. And this turns into a whole discussion where Susan's like, what if you can't have him? No one can. And Edie's like, I'm glad you're starting to understand me. And Susan's like, but that's ridiculous. And Edie's like, I'm trying so hard to be your friend and you're trying to just push my buttons. Mm -hmm. And then it comes out that Edie doesn't even like him. And so Susan's like, what the hell? Like, you don't even like him? Like, what, what do you, what is the problem if you don't even like him? So I, I don't know. What's your thought on this? Like, what's your take? So I'm the worst person to ask because if I like someone and now they don't like me and they like you, Amanda, and they want to go on a date with you, I am going to hide all of my feelings all of the time just by being embarrassed that I like somebody who doesn't like me. So no matter what, I would never have said not, I would never have said, no, you can't have him because I dated him or I saw him first or like, of course I would never say that, but I would work double hard to make sure that you thought it didn't mean anything to me or that my feelings weren't hurt at all. But that doesn't seem to be the situation for, for, um, Edie. It doesn't seem like she's, her feelings are hurt. Maybe her pride is hurt. Yeah. Um, not, not her feelings. And to be in competition with Susan really seems to chafe for her. It really seems to be like, I can't, I can't possibly have this happen. Um, but can we just remember, can we just recall when um, Edie came over to console Susan and basically was like, yes, I'm going to sleep with him. There are some mountains that are meant to be climbed. So like, hello, double standard. Like you literally just told this woman that the man she's in love with, clearly yes. you're going to have sex with him. But this other dude that's building your house that you don't even like and you have admitted you don't like wants to take her out for a burrito and you're pissed about it. Yes. Just doesn't. No. And, no. and Edie says, I'm trying to like you. No, you're trying to control a situation and maybe you won't be evil to me if I do this for you. And that's not liking me and or friendship by any means. Yes. Yes. No, there's nothing. There's nothing here. Edie needs to chill out. Yes. This is why she has a hard time relating with other women. It's true. It's true. It's not unclear to me. Mm-mm. So over at the funeral, right, uh, which all of the housewives attend, Gabrielle is shocked to see that Carlos has put together this service that is elaborate for his mother. Like Disney car- like Disney movie elaborate. Including a horse-drawn carriage carrying Mama Solis to an expensive crypt. With mourners following and somebody singing Ave Maria along the way. Yes. I mean, it, it is it is elaborate. There is a lot going on here. The other piece is Mama Solis didn't, wasn't from here. No. So, so these people are really here for Carlos and Gabby, if they're here yeah. for anybody, don't you think? Because I don't, it's not like family, it doesn't seem like. Uh, Carlos isn't uh, seeming to like 
you know, this is my aunt and this is, this is her, my mother's brother. It, it's not like that. It, it does. Yeah. Crazy. It's a neighbor. It's the neighbors. Yeah. Right. Um, it's Paul Young. Did we didn't see Paul Young, right? I guess I did not. I saw the housewives. I'm only looking everybody else. They, I think, um, Joanna Robinson calls this a red shirt. Like everybody else is red shirts and brown shirts. Like we don't know who you are. Um, you need to blend into the, blend into the scenery. Um, right. And Gabby, finally, she can't take it anymore. She says, you know what? At least she's going to have a roof over her head, which is more than you can say for me. She's being just the least supportive ever as they're walking to the point where the the father turns around and looks at her and she's like, turn around, Padre. Like, I'm paying you. She's being terrible. She's yeah. literally being terrible as her husband is laying his mother to rest. Like. Come on. When she says, how much did that horse and buggy set us back? This isn't the time for it. Right. This is not the time for that conversation. Also, we know Gabby was involved in the planning. So she knew, she knew about like, this shouldn't be a surprise to her. Um, have you ever been in a funeral procession? Is that yeah. a thing? Yes, but like, not like this. Mine, no, mine's been a car. Yeah. Right. You felt like you go from the, the service to mm-hmm. the graveside. Right. Yeah. I've not done it. Yeah. I've not done walking like this no so Gabby Gabby gets so angry and stomps off and I think it was Lynette and was it Lynette and Brie talking to each other yes yes and they're like are we supposed to follow them and Brie's like I'm not really sure and you hear Gabby tell Carlos to go to hell and then Brie takes over as cruise director and is like all right people we're going to follow the body (laughs) and just kind of like tries to redirect everybody so that they don't follow the the arguing couple. And that's a good friend. I got to say the person mm-hmm. who takes charge and doesn't, you know, because other people would see that as being overbearing. So you're willing yeah. to take that. You're willing to take the hit for being overbearing to spare right. your friend some embarrassment. And, right. you know, that's a, that's a good friend. I like that. I like that about Brie. Yes. Yes. So now it's time to go play some tennis, some mixed doubles. Um, Dennis and Lynette are on the same side, which was a mistake. Mm-hmm. And he continues to just berate his wife. Like you're at one point, he's like, you're blind and not deaf or you're, you're deaf, not blind or whatever. When she misses a ball. But and I like that he doesn't sign that to his wife. He just says it. Yes. Yeah. And this is not like, it's not like she can hear me and then says, you think your tennis stinks? You should try her cooking. Like, oh no, no, they weren't on the same side. No, they were on the side first. Yeah. Yes. Lynette heard it and just blasts a laser right at his face Mm. and says, you know, something good thing. Luckily my tennis is better than my cooking or something. And Tom, what, what's going on, man? You said you'd take him to the side. And he said, oh, it was, it was a tough shot. Oh. No, Tom's marshmallow. Well, so, actually, actually, sorry. This uh, brings us to our production, Two Truths and a Lie. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Yay. Okay. So in this tennis scene where Lynette hits the tennis ball directly at Dennis, which you, you well articulated there, um, there are two truths and a lie here. Okay. So which is it? The special effects team used CGI to insert the ball into the scene. A couple of the crew members attempted to hit the ball as a stunt shot, but all failed. 
Or Felicity Huffman slammed the ball right into the camera while trying to do the take. I think the CGI is the lie. You got it! Hey! Way to go! Uh, yeah, so she was uh, she was unsure that she was going to be able to do it, so they brought up the crew members to do it, and they all failed. So after watching them do it a few times, she said, okay, I'll try it, and then she hit the ball into the camera. Obviously, eventually we get the shot right, but mm-hmm. we had a lot going on there. They did not use CGI, however, so way cool. to go old school. Love it. Thank you. So, um, Lynette, so in, in between games, Lynette kind of says, dude, you're like, this isn't, this isn't great. And he makes Dennis makes the comment, well, we're going to counseling. And she's like, yeah, but this is, you're still awful. Like if you, if you're unhappy in your marriage, do something. I don't think she's saying leave your wife. No, she didn't. And we'll get to that when we get, we can skip right there if you want to, but I, I have a lot to say in that scene. Oh, in this tennis scene or in the next scene? In the next scene, in the resume. Okay, let's go in sequence. Okay, gotcha. Okay. I will not forget. So much okay. there. All right. Um, over at Susan, Bill comes over to patch the tire again. So did he notice like it was getting flat? Or and also, how many times do you patch a tire? Uh yeah, I don't know. Also, I don't understand Susan because I am not going to risk my car. So the second anything is wrong with anything, I am actually that parent. It's like that parent that calls a pediatrician for literally anything. I do the same thing with cars because it is going to wreck my day, if not my life and my body, if my car, if something goes wrong with my car on a day that I am driving out to, you know, uh, to, for something for business or something like that. So I need all of these things to be working smoothly. So yes, we sacrifice our Saturdays, our Sundays, all these things. And with the level of clumsiness we're dealing with with Susan, I would think that she would be ahead of these things as well. Yes. Agree. Agree. So Bill comes over and patching it again and says you really need to get that in and, and she really hard work he's like i know and and he's kind of like mopping his brow and she's like oh do, do you need an invitation to come in and have a glass of water so she opens her freezer and sticks her hand in the ice cube thing so yeah. she's got open ice in her freezer which freaks me out like I don't know. I, freezers and refrigerators get a smell after yeah. a while. And so I'm not a, I'm not a, like a open ice container out in a freezer kind of person. Yeah, you're right. Also, the ice takes on the smell and the taste of whatever's in there. So in yeah. my freezer, we have stuff that goes into the air fryer. Do you really want the ice cubes that are in your mimosa, which maybe you shouldn't have it in your mimosa anyway. I don't know your life, but um do you really want your ice cubes to be tasting no. like Tyson chicken fingers? No, I don't. I definitely do not. So that didn't, that I'm an ice snob and I'm glad to hear that you are too. Cause this really didn't work for me, but he asks her on another date and she agrees. So Susan, Susan's ready for the wrath of Edie, but he says something about like, Oh, I know a place that's out of the way. Like they're going to go hide. This is a hideaway. This is a tryst we're having. Yes. So then over to Carlos and Gabby, um, Carlos is making like an emergency list. And Gabby's like, well, what are you doing? And Carlos says he's going to take the plea so Gabby can keep the house. Yes. And she tells him he's brave and tries to look vulnerable for a minute. And I don't buy it. But anyway, 
Um, he makes her promise. He said, I'm also very realistic. I need you to promise that you'll be faithful and be here when I get out of jail because I'm a very jealous man. Mm -hmm. And Gabby is like, of course I'm going to be here. And then he's like, I need you to be faithful. And she's like, "Mm, sure. I know that was a delayed and and insane. I know you have needs. And I'm like, this is really okay. But I will give it that this is the first time he's ever talked about what it would be like for her to be a woman with needs in for eight months. I don't know about conjugal visits. We'll get there, I'm sure. Um, But yeah. These two go from being terrible to like super sweet at the drop of a hat. And it gives me actual whiplash. Yeah, it does. I agree. They are, they are complex figures. They're not volatile. It's a volatile situation. Volatile is correct. Yeah. It's, it's tenuous. I agree. So in the middle of the night, at Bree and Rex's house, Bree and Rex wake up Andrew and inform him that he is being sent away. He ignores the statement and puts his head back under the pillow. And Rex says, all right, we're ready. And we see two men enter Andrew's room. Andrew quickly looks at them. He's trying to make a run for it. I mean, they got, they are six Andrews put together. This is mm-hmm. not, it's not going to go well. Um, they grab him. They restrain him. This is all so traumatic. I I don't envy a parent that is so desperate in their own situation to save their child or, you know, to save, save their own self, because this does affect you. It is traumatic for you to watch your child in this situation. But Rex says that these men will help him get dressed, drive him to camp. And, you know, Andrew gets vulnerable. Andrew is vulnerable in this moment. And it says, mom, mom, mom. And Brie comes to him and he spits in her face and it's just Ugh, awful. Oh. She does make the comment like, hopefully you'll only have to be there for a few weeks. Come on, Brie. Yeah. Come on. Um, he says, I'm not going to a camp for juvenile delinquents, mm-hmm. but like, buddy, you killed someone. You did drugs in your car at school. Like, how how do you classify yourself? Like, what do you, what do you, do you feel like this is just like cool behavior? Like you should be allowed to run rampant and, and what's terrorize your strategy? What's your plan? What are you going to yeah. do next? Yeah. So Bree says, no matter what you say or do, I'll always love you. And it's just heartbreaking for her. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's heartbreaking to watch for both, for both. Like he, he definitely has issues and he needs, he needs help. And he doesn't seem to be willing to participate in his own care. So when things are so dire and he's still a minor, maybe you can have some level of intervention. Right. So then we have Bree and Rex um, sitting together and Bree thanks Rex for being there and standing by her. And I felt like that was like the sweetest Bree and Rex moment we've seen in this whole entire show. Yeah, it was a partnership moment and it was this is a sucky situation. This isn't this isn't a situation that we're celebrating by any means. It's a really hard situation and we're both there for each other. Yes. So then over at Barcliff, Alyssa asks to speak to Lynette privately. So they go into a classroom with nobody in it. Mm. Um she tells Lynette that Dennis left her and kind of starts yelling at her. And Lynette tells her she needs to talk slower, which I'm sure is infuriating to Alyssa. She gets frustrated and grabs Lily to act as her interpreter and starts telling her, you know, I know we have our problems. And 
you know, at lists and in her list, she says sexually. And Lynette's like, are you sure you want your kid to be doing this? Um, now you're telling me how to raise my daughter? Yeah. Yeah. So she confronts Lynette about yelling at Dennis for talking behind Alyssa's back and basically is like, I can, I can take it. I don't need you rescuing me. I don't think Lynette was trying to rescue her. I think Lynette was trying to be an upstander, which, you know, that's, I think that's being a good, I think standing up for somebody who's being treated shittily is being a good friend, but Alyssa didn't want it. Agreed. And so there's, there's, I think there's a couple of things that are making this um, particularly hard. Number one, some level of ableism, right. Is that, um, and Alyssa brings us up. She says to Lynette, she's like, so you just decided to come in on your white horse and try to save me. And maybe I, did you ever think that maybe I didn't want to be rescued? Is it because I'm deaf that you did this? So there's, there's a lot going on there. There's a ton going on there. I don't think that that has something. I don't think that that is what, where Lynette was going with that either. She, I do think she doesn't like that, that Dennis is taking advantage of the fact that his wife is deaf to say really shitty things, but I don't think she's protecting her. I think she would have done the same thing if he would have been saying the things whispered style to Lynette or behind your back. Like right. you know, I was alone with, Su- I was alone with uh, Mike and Mike said this about Susan, you know, right. all, all of that. I agree completely in particular. I am very offended when Alyssa says, um, where you uh where do you get off telling people that they need to stop going to counseling that's not what Lynette said Lynette right. said that if you feel the need to give all this information to an almost total stranger and continue to treat your wife like this I can't say that counseling is working for you so it's not stop going to counseling it's work harder work different work better and do something. The, the correct answer is do something. And Lynette did not mean for him to end their marriage. He would have found a way to end their marriage one way or another. People who people who don't want to do something, don't want to do the work, will find a way not to do the work. Right. He didn't need an invitation from her to do it. If, if he says he did, or if he said that to Alyssa, really, I don't want to be married to somebody who gets inspiration from one of my friends to divorce me and does it. You then want to divorce me. That's on you. Mm-hmm. Independent of anybody else telling you what to do. This is what you've decided to do. Yes. Yes. Agree. Agree. It was terrible. It, I, I don't know. I, I didn't, I, yeah, it was terrible. So Susan and Bill go on a date and she can't stop talking about Mike. Cause yeah. she loves him yes. and Edie shows up. So, so much for it being out of the way. And she this makes Bill, I made the joke. Is this where she and Bill went? That's out of the way. I mean, I don't know, but, but they're basically like, how did you find us? And Edie says that the foreman said, you're on a date with the hottie. Apparently he needs LASIK. <laughs> oh, Edie such a burn such a burn and so didn't she also say i just um i followed the stench of skanky betrayal am i making that up? oh i didn't catch that okay. i didn't catch that so somebody probably- will, somebody will uh fix me if i'm wrong about that so susan before Edie even shows up she's just talking and it's obvious that bill's like not into the conversation um 
Susan needs to read the room. <laughs> like, yeah. Man. And if you're the one, again, like a teacher, right? If you have been talking for five minutes and the other person hasn't, then maybe we're not on the right topic or we need to check for some more understanding. What's going on here? Yeah. Um, so yes, I think that uh, I think that Bill's having a terrible time on this date to begin with, and now he's fired from his contracting job. And Edie says that she's never going to forgive Susan, which that who who knows what will happen with that. Um, you do, I don't. So well, well, if she if she won't, what a loss because they've been such great friends and right, right. So driving home, Susan's car, of course gets in an accident like the tire fails and yes. bills he's just can't handle it anymore <laughs> he's like you did this you did this to yourself and i don't need him to say that i don't i just don't need it and obviously again red shirt brown shirt i don't I, i'm not gonna see a lot of you so it, the writers aren't working very hard to give him any nuance or anything there i'm not gonna miss him i i don't think this is a terrible loss for either Edie or uh, Susan, but particularly not for Susan, no. who, doesn't need to be, who doesn't need to be reminded of the ways in which she's imperfect. She's got friends that can help her with that. Uh, right. But when when Susan says, you know, this isn't about me. I just got sucked into the drama. That one you're gonna have to you're gonna have to walk that one back a little bit, Susan. Yes, yes, things happen to you that are dramatic. But to say that you don't invite at least some of it in, like not taking your car to get fixed. Yes, is being um is going too far. I all these things are just happening to me. No, you are no. you are an agent in your own life, and and you need to take some level of responsibility. So that's enough of that. Yes. So then we head over to Tom and Lynette, who are kind of processing how they handled things. Um, Lynette's feeling really crappy and is basically like, "Am I a bad person because only bad people break up marriages and offend the handicapped?" And Tom's really sweet to her and says, you know, you were just looking out for your friend. I was afraid to make a scene. You knew it was yeah. wrong and you let him have it. You have a strong sense of what is right and you're not afraid to act on it. And yes and no, because let's not forget Nanny Gate when, <laughs> when Lynette decided she was going to literally steal a nanny. Let's not forget when Lynette manipulated Tom's job situation and convinced the boss's wife to take back the promotion. Like, which Tom doesn't know about yet to his, to his credit. Yes. But like, say like in this situation for stand, like for as far as standing up for her, not even her friend, but standing up for somebody else who's being wronged. Yes. Yeah. Lynette will go toe to toe with anyone. Um, and then she says, you know, Tom, you find a way to compliment me when you could say, I told you so. But then he signs, I told you so, which Tom just learned a lot of sign language, didn't he? Absolutely. He's like a little sponge. A little sponge. Like a child. I'm not wrong about this. No. Oh, goodness. Um, at the hospital, an administrator would like to talk to Gabby about compensation for a, a possible breakdown in the chain of care. And Gabby is so savvy. She's like, a payoff? What is it that, what is it that could, um, you know, what is it that could have brought this upon? And it, it seems that she's interpreting that we didn't do everything we could have to prevent something 
that eventually went wrong with Mama Solis. Um, and he presents her with some documents. And if it's okay to move into the next one, I yes. we have Gabby calling her lawyer in the car about a hypothetical situation in which she wins maybe $1.6 million off, off of a scratch off. Now, I don't know if, yeah, those situations are the same in terms of tax liability and and other other situations, but it sounds like Gabby's saying, so if I were to win this money before Carlos goes to prison, would the government be able to take it? And the lawyer seems to indicate yes from the side of the conversation we have. However, if that payoff were to happen or that scratch off were to happen, if you will. After he's gone. To jail. After he goes to prison. I don't know if it's after he's released mm. or if it's the day after she uh, surrenders him. Then, yes, they get to keep it. Now, here's the thing. I have to believe that Carlos has to sign off on this, too. Because it's his mom. So he's going to have questions. And I don't think he'll be as eager to take 1.6 for this happening. So it, it's, it feels like Gabby's going to do this all behind his bag or without telling him. And that just doesn't seem to be legally viable. No. And Gabby is basically like, oh, what time can I drop him off to you tomorrow? And then we see him with the front door open, vacuuming. Back from the hospital on my way home, maybe? Uh, Right. A couple things. I'm kidding. Sorry. Sorry. Except he's vacuuming and she appreciates that. He's looking just so docile, like the husband, husband taking care of it all, vacuuming through the open front door. Yes. And that he's not as shameless as she is, at least in terms of using slave labor. Right. This is just my least favorite Gabby episode, I think. It's fair. I think that's fair. I don't know. I mean, the statutory rape was bad too. I don't know. I just, I just don't, I don't love, I feel like we had seen some really good Gabby moments and I feel like this just brought us right back to her, her worst side. Yeah, it's not, and it's not linear for her. It's that we move forward, we have peaks and valleys. We move forward and then we pull back and then we do this and then we do that. And it's it's fair to say you're going to get more of that at least before the season ends. Certainly before. I wouldn't season. imagine it be any, any way different than that. <laughs> um, we go to final words. We all honor heroes for different reasons, sometimes for their daring, sometimes for their bravery, sometimes for their goodness. But mostly we honor heroes because at one point or another, we all dream of being rescued. And of course, if the right hero doesn't come along, sometimes we just have to rescue ourselves. And the most poignant piece is Susan taking the letter from Mike that she had put on the fridge unopened. Back under his door. Right. She did not open it. Hmm. What an episode. This was was jam-packed with some stuff. They get that way, uh, even in a 24-episode uh, season, they get that way, I feel like, in the last couple of episodes. I don't think there's as much slowing down. Uh, so mm-hmm. next week, we head over to Children Will Listen. Mm, can't wait. Has that been your experience, Amanda? Children Will Listen? Not recently. <laughs> um, it's what they listen to and what they selectively do not listen to so can't wait to learn more next yes. week uh until then i'm rachel and i'm amanda and thank you for listening to noisy fulfillment bye, bye.